0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: What I find is the, the, the point of contention and where that that struggle usually happens is that consistency in not just doing something creative every day even when you don't feel like it and especially when you don't feel like it and two, sharing it with the world especially if you don't feel like it and so it's that consistency of I'm going to show up every day even if it's 15 minutes, even if it's a half an hour even if it's more and even if I feel no inspiration at all You know, I have to do it and I'm also sharing it with the world and I'm not going to be the person that has the pile of cartoons, you know, packed in my drawer that I haven't shown to anyone else in my life. It's, it's just as important to be consistent in how I create and when I create, but also how I share it with with everyone else.
6: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot.
2: Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Steph, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. Uh, You know, I met you via our mutual friend, Sarah Peck, who introduced us. And Sarah has been a a pretty consistent referral source for amazing guests. Every time she's referred somebody, they've been phenomenal. And once I I looked at what you're up to, uh, I was immediately intrigued because I saw that you're an artist, especially a visual artist, which, you know, even though I can't draw a stick figure to save my life, I have a (laughs) deep appreciation for all things visual, as anybody who's ever been to our website knows. So uh, on that note, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your story, your journey, your background, and how it has led to everything that you're up to now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So right now I'm, you know, it took a while to get here, I have to admit. And cartoons are something that I've wanted to do ever since I was a kid. It was just one of those things where I felt like I was born to draw. I'd spend hours in front of the TV, imitating Looney Tunes and, you know, trying to get my Bugs Bunny exactly right. And, you know, I had dreams of becoming a Disney animator when I grew up. Um, And I think like a lot of people out there, a lot of creatives and a lot of artists out there. The dream kind of started to disappear as I became a high schooler and was thinking about college and wanted to make something of my life and my career. And I didn't really want to go to art school. I was one of those kids who liked to learn and liked to go to school. I was good at math and I wanted to be that intellectual person, but I kind of looked around at all of the artists around me and the potential career path ahead if I went to an art institute or something like that, um, and it didn't really appeal to me. And I and I I thought that I should do something more practical. So, the childhood dream of becoming a cartoonist was. I kind of put that on the shelf and decided to go to a four year university, get my BA in international relations, um, and then sure enough graduate the worst time to graduate in the job market in like 2009. No <laughs> jobs available. <laughs> I have what I considered like a pretty worthless degree at the time. Um no one was hiring. I had tons of student debt, like $30,000 in student debt, which is actually not that um that surprising of an amount. I think that's the average now, yeah. but um graduated and just didn't really know what to do with myself. And so that's uh, that's the moment that I really got into the blogging world where I started to devour personal finance blogs and just I needed a way to survive day to day and figure out well how am I going to manage when I'm still looking for work I'm barely making minimum wage at this you know internship that I had at a at a nonprofit in Boston at the time. So I was hardly making any money and I was in so much debt. And so I just started reading personal finance blogs and figuring out, all right, how do I help myself with my finances? Um, and then at the same time I started teaching classes at this nonprofit around financial education because they needed someone to step in and, um, help the the refugees that they were serving who were new to the country, didn't know how the banking system worked. And they said, you know, hey, why don't you teach this class, Staff, You really don't need to know that much. <laughs> you just need to know, tell them how credit cards work. And so that began kind of my online journey of, you know, reading blogs um, and teaching personal finance and then translated to me starting my own personal finance website where I wanted to help fellow 20-somethings who are in lots of student loan debt, uh, help them get out of it and try to prevent that from happening for for anyone else out there. So I became a blogger and started working professionally in this financial education world um, and doing that for a few years... I still had that kind of itch of something more, like getting my work out there, getting my voice out there and being really creative now that I was dabbling in the online space. So fast forward about two years into my blog and I decided that I wanted to add cartoons to it because I was blogging about personal finance. It was a really weighty, kind of, it can be a really negative topic, especially about debt. Um, and I really had this urge to add a little lightness to it. And I began adding cartoons here and there to my website. Um, and the response was so incredible <laughs> to something that I thought was completely unrelated. I just wanted a place to put my cartoons out there. And, um, the, the interest I got from people to do custom cartoons, the way it was getting shared. Um, it, it really, it, it hit a point where I realized that, okay, I can combine two things. I can help people, which I love to do. And I can use my cartoons as the vehicle to do that. And it, it really opened up the door for me to think about, well, how can I professionally, make money from my art and online is such an easy interesting creative way to do that so um so that's kind of how I got got started cartooning online um and from there decided to launch my own website that was strictly just my cartoons my thoughts and a daily newsletter um, to send out a little inspiration every day and a, a cartoon message that has nothing to do with personal finance. So that was like the evolution of my journey from a kid with crayons all the way up to where I am today, which is a daily motivational um, art newsletter at art to self
2: Okay, cool. So it's funny, uh, you know, when I was listening to you say that, it, it, we have such parallel journeys because I graduated uh, from business school at the same time you did from undergrad, it sounds like, uh, same exact situation, wondering what the hell I was going to do with myself. And I have a lot more student loan debt than 30,000. Uh, that's what happens when you, you you know, add up 10 years of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I, I like to do is look back at people's childhoods in a lot more depth. And uh, you, you were mentioning to me that you, you know, had this childhood dream, you're always drawing. I'm curious, I mean, what, uh, what are the kinds of influences that you had in your life, like, you know, friends, parents, whoever, that you know kind of fueled that dream was were you just one of those kids who always had crayons and were always drawing
1: yeah well i have to really credit my mom and i've talked to her a lot about this recently like as an adult which was how you know you really fueled this passion that i had and she just i think was a very intuitive parent where she was like all right this girl she's really digging the drawing so i'm going to buy her an easel i'm going to just like i'm going to get her supplies wherever I can, just like sheets of paper lying around the house and markers. Um, And so she, I think, was a big fuel for um, this interest that just stuck with me. It wasn't just kind of a passing fad, and she just kept feeding that. And then on the other hand, I just, I really do remember spending hours and hours watching Looney Tunes, watching animated Disney movies in a, just in awe and, you know, to the point where, I memorized all of the different, like there were five different directors on Looney Tunes cartoons and I was like, Oh, this is a Chuck Jones one. That's about to come on. He's my favorite. And uh, it became, I think, this fascination of connecting really emotionally with some drawings that were on screen. And so that influence just stayed with me. And I, you know, when I got a little older, I started reading Calvin and Hobbes and I collected all of those and, um, there was there was just something really special about um, I think that time in my life. It was a different style of cartoons than than kind of what you see on TV now. Um, but really, that nostalgic, heartwarming feeling I got from being surrounded by all of those cartoonists and animators, and I still have those books and I still carry them with me. And they were definitely a huge influence on me since I could since I could remember. Mm. Why do you think?
2: So many people miss those kinds of moments in their life.
1: Yeah. You know, um, when I think about, that's a really great question. Um, when I think about why I held on so tightly to those memories and why I, I feel like they've carried through adulthood with me, they've just remind me about this joyfulness and lightness i had as a kid and uh, you know i spent a couple years um we lived in montana for a bit and i just remember living next to farms and life just felt like magical and full of nature and um you know it was before grade school even where i i just felt like my imagination ran my life uh and and i could follow it wherever i wanted it to go um and so That's just kind of that piece, I think, that gets eroded away as you get into school, as you get older, especially when you hit middle school, which is a really tough year uh, for anyone, but where you're asking yourself, you know, who you are and what you love to do. Uh, And then, you know, getting to the more practical stuff in life, like Mm -hmm. a college degree and and everything like that. So I think it's just that um, that that imagination, that pure, unadulterated imagination that happens when you're a kid. Um, and that's why, and why cartoons like that are so captivating and interesting and engaging, um, and, and why people I think miss them as an adult and and feel like they're missing out on something is it just kind of disappears and you have to really work to call it back. Hmm.
2: Well, that actually makes a perfect setup for my next question, which is, uh, how do you start to capture that, uh, in adult life and call it back?
1: Yeah. You know what? Um, it took a while for me to call it back. I have to admit that I spent, there were a couple years of my life where I hardly did a doodle or a sketch and um I actually I did an exercise once where I mapped out my level of happiness or kind of what I thought how happy I was at different stages in my life and the amount of cartoons that I was drawing or uh-huh. the amount of art I was doing and it was pretty the correlation was pretty striking um and uh, you know I think for me, I got very caught up in what I should be doing. And, and really I wanted a steady paycheck. I was something that, um, I didn't really have an experience with my family growing up. And so going to school, getting a degree, getting a good job, that was just a mission for me for, you know, a stretch of eight years of my life. Um, and, and so art just wasn't, part of my purview, even though it was part of my identity. I just felt like it didn't have a place in what I was trying to do in my life. And so the first step was acknowledging that I wasn't happy with the way things were going. I didn't feel completely fulfilled and content with the job that I had at the time and, and just doing the, you know, traditional nine to five stuff without that creativity on the side. And then the other was making space and, um, creating a practice around it. Because if I didn't make time and space to just let myself be completely, you know, free and experimental and creative, uh, I knew it wasn't going to happen. But I think for me, the first step was just admitting that something was missing, Um, And then the second step was just was fighting, fighting for it and making space to to bring it back into my life.
2: All right. So I, I love this idea of making space and uh, creating a practice around this because, uh, you know, a ritual drives every single thing I do. Like every day is very, very predictable at this point, at least the first hour or two every every day. And I think that there's this interesting myth that people have about creative people that their lives are basically nothing but chaos and, and disruption and <laughs> really interesting. And what I've noticed among the most creative people especially the ones who are incredibly skilled at what they do is they're driven entirely by habit and ritual like you can predict their days uh you know and i'm really curious i mean what does your actual creative practice look like can you expand on it and and talk to us about it i'm like like how do you figure out what you're going to draw Do you just sit down and start doodling and then you know as somebody who has dabbled in drawing but never seems to be able to come up with much more than a stick figure or you know uh like I I have somehow carried this narrative with me that I can't draw, but I also know that teaching myself how to draw for 30 days is probably one of the things that had the most profound impact on how we've built this brand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it's actually one of the reasons I started art to self, which is, again, it's a daily cartoon. It goes out every day or every weekday. Um, and I was at a point where, I, you know, I was reading books like, um, uh, the, the, the war of art. I think Uh that was the book I was reading at the time. Um, and just realizing that I needed to carve out time to make this happen. And not only did I need to carve out time, but like you said, I needed to make it a practice. I needed to make it a habit. Uh, and I needed to hold myself accountable to that because if I was just sitting down, um, and and drawing for the sake of drawing, for some reason that <laughs> felt like I could just slip up so easily. And, and I knew that I would make an excuse a week into it um, if I didn't have the structure around that. So part of my impetus for starting a, a, a website and a newsletter where I send something out five times a week was I didn't really have a choice that... N- I didn't have a choice to be a perfectionist, so I couldn't hoard my art to myself and think, oh, this isn't good enough, I can't send this out. It was I had a deadline and I had to send it out uh, because people were waiting for it. Um, so that's one side of it, which was creating that that structure. Um, and, and the other is that I also really structure the first two hours of my day. I hold them like so sacred because I know what can go wrong if I let... Um, let clients or emails or anything else dictate what's happening. And so I I really focus on my morning routine, um, kind of my mindfulness practices for, for myself and my body first thing in the morning. And then before I do anything and before I talk to anyone or respond to any emails, I sit down and I take care of my drawing and I sit down and I draw and it can be, you know, a half an hour. And if I have more time, it could be more than that. But I know that that's the one thing that. I need to feed every morning to make sure that I'm happy, but also to keep this, um, this newsletter going that, that I've now created. Um, and so, so keeping that routine and structure is really important to me. And it's funny that you mention uh, you know, c- becoming a better artist over time and and with habit and, and repetition, because I just finished my first draft of, Art to Self, the book, which was taking my best cartoons from the year um, and putting them into kind of my my favorite best of format, uh, and I looked back at some of these cartoons from you know the beginning of the year, and I, some some were a little cringeworthy. I was like, oh my god, that's how I was drawing you know, human hands back then. And, 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 almost to the point where I wanted to like reedit some of my old cartoons completely. Um, but I could actually watch the evolution of who I am as a cartoonist. I know I draw them faster. I know that I'm better at, because I've drawn people so many times there's even as someone who's a lifelong cartoonist, I can kind of watch and track my progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I was sharing it with the world, which is, again, I think such a critical part of becoming better and wanting to become better is, is being accountable to something outside of yourself and not just you know, doing this kind of art and keeping it, keeping it in the back of the closet. Hmm.
2: I love this, uh, just because it's, it's really cool to see anybody evolve as an artist. And I, I can relate, you know, when I I go back and even listen to interviews we did a year ago, I'm thinking, wow, this is really bad. (laughs) Uh, and, and they're not horrible. They're nowhere near horrible, but I always think that, wow, you know, when you, when you look back at your work, you'll always see this sort of steady track of improvement if you're consistent about it. But drawing in particular is one that interests me because, uh, of the fact that I, I am still convinced that I can't draw. And, you know, I'm curious what you'd say to somebody in our audience who basically feels that same way about something like drawing. Like, is this something that can be learned? Is it something that you get better at? And if so, how?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's two pieces to that, I think. One is um, everyone can visually represent their ideas, it doesn't necessarily mean that you, You know, can draw a dog really well, and you're really happy about it. But um, starting with, okay, how do I visually represent this idea that I have? And it could just be uh, hand drawing text um, with different colors around it, or um, you know, taking an idea but not necessarily turning it into a drawing or um, you know, a person or anything like that. But but visualizing your thoughts in a different way than just Uh, pen on paper in a lined notebook. So that's the first thing I would recommend just is to experiment with how do you project what you're thinking in your head onto paper, even if it's just scribbly words or, um, stars and, and, you know, starbursts around, around those words. That's the first thing. The second thing though, is, um, I ask people, why they really want to draw if they feel like they can't, and I'm a really big fan of doing what you're good at, um, and the path pass- path of least resistance when it comes to creativity. Uh, and if there's something that's holding you up significantly, you know why? Why is drawing so important to you, and and why why all that pressure of? You know, holding on to a story that I feel like I can't draw, mm. but I really want to draw. And there's so much tension and force that happens between those two points. Like, well, if I forced myself to draw for 30 days straight, maybe I'd become a good drawer. But I know I can't draw. Um, and even just the wanting to do that, uh, the nature of that is th- there's a lot of like anguish and struggle in there. Um, so either make it something lighter where you feel like you can experiment and and practice around. Um, and, and let yourself, you know, do stuff that you might not be that proud of and and you're okay with, um, seeing where it goes. But on the other hand too, like do, do what you are good at. So there are types of drawings and, um, and art and cartooning out there that you might be more inclined to do than others.
2: You know, it's interesting because I think for me, the, the biggest sort of insight that I had, uh, in that process of teaching myself to draw was the power of working with other people. Uh, And and seeing that, okay, I can't draw, but I can go and find somebody else to take my ideas and say, "Hey, can you bring this to life?"
1: Yeah, that's and that's a great way to. I think when you partner with another person, you can really see what um, what skills you have. Like those become more crystal clear when you see them in contrast to to what somebody else brings to the table. And I'm starting to do that more with my work and taking, you know, my skill set of turning ideas into cartoons and pairing them with thought leaders or people who have really cool, um, coaching exercises or, uh, you know, they're the thinkers and I can come into their work and just make and highlight it a bit better with what I do. Hmm.
2: So that creative tension you spoke of, I think that that is not isolated to drawing necessarily. I think that's actually universal throughout any uh, art form or creative work. And I'm curious how people resolve that tension, uh, in whatever their work is.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm reading a really great book right now. It's, um, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's, I I think she, she makes some really interesting points in the book. One of it being that your creative path as a, you know, whether you're an artist or a writer or anything in between, um, it doesn't have to be full of anguish and struggle. It doesn't have to be, um, that you had a really painful process to, 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 you know bring to life this really you know passionate creative project that you wanted to bring to the world. so there's one side of it, which is it doesn't have to be painful, and that kind of myth of the struggling artist um, actually doesn't really have to exist but but what I find is the 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 point of contention and where that that struggle usually happens is that consistency in not just doing something creative every day, even when you don't feel like it, and especially when you don't feel like it. And two, sharing it with the world, especially if you don't feel like it. And so it's that consistency of, I'm going to show up every day, even if it's 15 minutes, even if it's a half an hour, even if it's more. And even if I feel no inspiration at all, you know, I have to do it. And I'm also sharing it with the world. And I'm not going to be the person that has the, Pile of cartoons you know packed in my drawer that i haven 't shown to anyone else in my life it's it's just as important to be consistent in how I create and when I create, but also how I share it with with everyone else
2: so how does somebody find uh, their style uh, in an art form? I mean yours happens to be drawing, but I 'm curious about this because I, I just want to see how you 'll answer this as a visual artist
1: sure, yeah, and I spend a lot of time experimenting and a lot of time, judging myself for the kind of art form that I liked and that I was good at. Um, I, you know, I always thought of myself when I was in grade school as, um, the cartoons were my entryway into art, but that if I wanted to take it anywhere, I, I really needed to be technically developed and really well-rounded as an artist. And, you know, I spent a few years doing acrylic painting, um, And I, I kind of was hacking my way into like finishing (laughs) acrylic paintings on canvases. And I realized I would step back and look at these paintings and they were all outlined with like, with black paint. And I was like, this looks really cartoony. Um, But I like that style. So uh, even though it doesn't look that realistic, um, I'm going to just keep outlining my mountains and people and buildings with, with (laughs) black paint. Uh, I even tried to do. Um, you know, pastels and oil paint. And I just, I really realized that it just wasn't my craft. It wasn't the area of expertise that I had in the world. Um, and even when I started adding cartoons online, I looked at some of my fellow online cartoonists that do it for a living that had incredible setups and home studios and things like that. Um, and the quality I felt that they were producing versus what. I felt like I could do in the world. That also was extremely intimidating. Um, But again, I realized that part of my value as a cartoonist, I call myself like a motivational cartoonist. It's not just my technical ability to draw a cartoon, but it's the words and the message that I put behind behind that. So I don't have to be the the most technical um expert out there when it comes to you know inking a cartoon and and mine are black and white on art to self too because i knew that i wanted to create them um without having to worry about uh, you know what color should go here and just to be a little more free with my design so it took a lot of experimentation and and i think too just being really clear and okay with what exactly is my value as a cartoonist and it's not the perfectly shaded, incredible, you know, comic book. It's really the message behind my cartoons that um, makes me who I am.
5: Hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
4: And Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/slash host.
6: Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
3: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
2: I want to talk about the moment uh, of graduating from college into a, a horrible job market. And <laughs> I am really interested in this personally because it's it's my moment. I mean, it's, it's exactly how what I've built started. And the question I have for you is why certain people in moments like that find an outlet like you did that ultimately has led to this and why other people crack and let it send them into a tailspin.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I can only suppose... What you know? Because I know the exact moment for me, and I'm sure you know the exact moment for you. Um, oh, yeah, graduation when, day, <laughs> right? Yeah, and for me, it was about two months after, um, and I remember that I I had been trying to live on this stipend, this measly stipend from this nonprofit. I was super grateful for the opportunity, but it wasn't paying a lot. While I was looking for a full time job and this student debt was staring me in the face and I was trying to live in downtown Boston and it, the money wasn't adding up. And it was that moment where I remember that day where I had to choose between buying my prescription medicine or my bus pass. And I chose the bus pass and I was like, wait, <laughs> this needs to change immediately. And part of my, my impetus to figuring things out and creating um, kind of like really pushing my own career path instead of feeling like I was falling victim to it was that I had moved away from home um, to go to school. So I was living in Boston, but I had grown up in Seattle and there was a refusal of defeat that was in me, which is I'm not moving back home because if I move back home, that means I'm giving up on living on the East Coast, which I wanted to do and wanted to try and giving up experimenting and becoming my own adult and figuring this out for myself that I I wanted to do so badly and um, so it was that refusal of being defeated that sparked you know everything which was oh I'm gonna fix this and I'm gonna create something better from this situation so help me god because I am not going to retreat um, and I'm not I'm not going to give up because it's, I've already gotten here and, you know, who cares what the economy's doing? I'm going to find a way to work around this. Hmm.
2: That refusal of defeat, uh, you think that that is something that can be learned?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. Can it be learned? Um, it's something that I feel like has been in me inherently, which is, um, I, I feel like I'm a fixer. I know that I'm a fixer. I like to fix problems and situations. Sometimes I uh, get a little too heavy handed and try to fix my friends' problems and situations too. But um, that's just something that I've always looked for and sought in my life, which is what is the solution to this instead of um, kind of feeling resigned to it. Uh, so I, I, I'm a pretty big believer that it is a personality type that's more inclined to do that. But I'm also very aware that there is a decision point and you get to make a really hard choice or a slightly easier choice to, to give up. Um, and everybody has that choice. So it, I think it's less about, can it be learned as a, as a trait and more, can you practice it more frequently in your life when that situation does come up?
2: Well, I think the situation comes up over and over again. I don't know that it's just once. And right. uh, I'm curious, along the path after that, were there any other times that you wanted to quit or just throw in the towel?
1: Oh, so many. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think a couple come to mind, which is as I was climbing in my career in the you know financial education field, um, and I got to a job that I thought was, the ultimate job, I was designing financial education games, um, for students and it was creative and, but it was also using my personal finance passion and background. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling and it was, it was really strenuous and hard. Um, and it was that kind of choice point where it feels like almost like time stands still. And you, you're staring at this crossroads and you're like, okay, I can either resign to the fact that I'm going to be working 60 hour work weeks in a job that's um not really my thing, but it's the thing on paper that everyone says is the ultimate dream. <laughs> and um, or I could choose something really hard and I can change this and I can change my life. And that was the point when I decided that I needed to quit my job and I needed I wanted to do this financial education work as a consultant and I wanted to explore this cartoon route. Um but that was also a choice point and and those happen again in those i think those really big powerful moments especially on the on the career ladder but they also happen in really small subtle ways which is um you know there was a point with art to self this year where i had been doing it every single day so 7 days a week um for 6 months and i was so burned out and no and there i think there is a point where um practice and habit Fuels something, but it also can become you know a burden and and I realized that that this thing that I loved and that I had built and that I was sharing with the world and that was growing um and and you know people loved it so much, it was really like chipping away at me and that was also a really hard decision point and inflection point for me, which was if this was going to survive and I was going to continue to be an online you know motivational cartoonist that that helped people and also, you know, gave me a place to draw. I had to make a choice there, um, which is a very different one, which isn't power through and continue. But I, you know, trimmed it down to five days a week during the weekday and it didn't affect, you know, nothing exploded and it didn't, you know, people still liked the the notes, but that was also a decision where, you know, I could keep going down that path or, or I could make the, the harder choice, which was to to pull back a little, and sometimes even those choices are a little more difficult for me than the um, you know power through and fix it type choices, the ones where I realize I need to step back and reflect or I need to take a little bit more time and intention with with the work i 'm doing
2: so that raises two other questions for me: uh, why do you think so many people quit when it gets hard and When you chose not to quit, could you see a vision for the future of what this was going to be?
1: Yeah. So, wow. The moment of wanting to quit comes up, I think, very frequently, Um, especially when you're doing something that you care about so much and that brings you a lot of joy doing. Um, You know, it's it's that roller coaster ride of I'm in love with my idea and it doesn't matter who Mm -hmm. else loves it. I'm going to just keep going. And the roller coaster, you know, it goes along and goes along and starts to dip down where all that, I know for me, all I want in those moments is just some validation, some sign that it's growing, it's taking off, it's being appreciated. It's it's going somewhere and it doesn't feel like I'm just putting art out there and hoping for the best and, and you know, it's all up to circumstance. So in those moments, it's definitely hard um, it's definitely hard to keep going. But the thing that keeps me going is that I feel like I have an outlet to be vulnerable and honest. And some of my best art to self cartoons have come out of those dips where um, I'm going to keep going even when I feel like garbage and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere um, because one, I've created this structure where I send these out, you know, five days a week. And also because if I can be vulnerable and say, i 'm having a hard time as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as a human being that 's when I can actually relate to people the most and if I let myself have those moments and share them publicly uh, it, it's always it 's always come back to me in a really powerful way. so I think that's that's one one piece of it um, and And part of it was just honest faith, and I think there's a lot of faith that happens from being an entrepreneur that you keep doing something and if you see that it's working, you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And it, and the external validation, whatever form the success takes, if it's subscribers, if it's financial, um, having the faith in the daily practice, um, it's very, you know, it could be very spiritual, <laughs> but it is faith driven, which is you practice, you do it and you believe it's going to work out because if you're seeing signs that it is working, you your job is to just keep going. Um, and so seeing the glimmers of, um, new subscribers flooding in or, you know, a a post taking off here or there just was those little reminders along this road that this is working and I have a vision for what I'm building and I can see progress. Um, and on the days I don't see progress, I'm still going to keep doing what I'm, what I said I'm going to keep doing.
2: I, I really appreciate that perspective because, uh, You know, I've had some very interesting conversations with uh, two people, one with Dan Martell and another with my my friend Greg Hartle very recently, which most of you will have heard by the time you're listening to this. We talked about this idea of the inevitability of success and how, you know, certain people just have that. They believe so strongly in what they're doing. And I think that anybody who manages to keep going for some extended period of time, it's something I I think on some level internally, they just believe that like this is going to work, especially like you said, when you start to see some form of external validation, even if it's tiny, you're like, okay, something I'm doing, I'm doing something right. You know, it, uh, I'd been listening to, uh, the, the, how to start a startup podcast that, uh, the, the Y Combinator folks had put out, like they made the entire curriculum of the course they're teaching at Stanford available via iTunes. I was like, well, definitely want to listen to this was more valuable than getting an MBA. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the really interesting things they talk about in that very first lecture, our second lecture, Sam Haltman talks about this. He said, you're better off having something a small number of people absolutely love than something a large number of people like. And that really resonated with me. And I think that we live in a world where you know, everybody's, uh, follower accounts and, you know, uh, status is are so publicly available to us. We get into this sort of mode of comparison, thinking that what we're not, what we're doing is not impactful. Um, I was interviewed for a, a website called Thrivewire and I said, you know what? I said, if your dent is small, it doesn't mean it's insignificant.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me that one of my benchmarks was that thousand true fans, mm-hmm um and not you know a thousand likes on facebook or you know a thousand extra followers on twitter but i knew that i was building something that was really intimate it was reaching people in an intimate way you know in their inbox i was being very vulnerable and visual and sharing kind of my heart with the world and i knew that if i could measure it somehow with that thousand true fan benchmark. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I hit that, I was like, okay, this is working. Like this feels special. And however much this grows, I know I have this dedicated fan base that I could do anything. I feel like I could do anything in the world because they care about me. I care about them. Mm -hmm. There's this wonderful mutual symbiotic relationship between us. Um, And that measurement was so important to me that how this expands and how fast it expands and where it expands to. um, I I feel like I have so much more patience for that now because I do have that quality group of uh, this beginning foundation that just makes me feel like I'm really impacting this group of people and and that's what really matters. Well,
2: I think, you know, the idea of where it expands and how it expands, uh, that is something that we all want to control and yet we have so little control over it. right. Yeah. Like there's so many things we could have never predicted, you know, even three years ago when we did this, like nobody would, we didn't even know our name was going to be called the unmistakable creative.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's such a great point too. And again, it's that faith and persistence, that magic formula that I've had to abide by doing this. Um, even with my marketing strategies, like guest posting, I've been writing guest posts and drawing cartoons for other sites. Um, and, the site where I thought that it was going to take off, I hardly got, you know, any new subscribers from it. And I had no control over where they put my link and my byline and, you know, how they shared it on their social network. And then this other site that I, you know, I'm a personal fan of and I wrote a post for it that I really cared about. And it's like, oh, I'm so glad I could be on that site that I I love so much. Um, And then three weeks later, the post went viral and I got 700 subscribers in like 24 hours. And I had no control over that side of the equation either. But all I knew is that I had to get myself out there continuously. And you just never know, you you know, you keep striking matches and you never know which one is going to, to light up, but you just have to keep going.
2: Hmm. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, was about this time when imagination ran your life. And I I love that phrase uh, just because I think it's such a powerful thing. And I'm really curious how you balance, you know, the practical aspects of things with imagination running your life when you're doing your art.
1: Oh my gosh, this is such a great question and such a a timely one, which is um, art to self has been my playground in in a sense um you know i do have to show up every day and send send out a cartoon to to my newsletter but um just in the past couple months i i did have one of those dips in the, the questions about where is this going and how do i make money from this in a more meaningful way right now i ask for donations from readers if they feel really you know compelled by what i do and what i draw Um, but I, I think I was getting a little impatient and that practical side of me was coming up more than the creative imaginative side. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it into prints. People will like cartoon prints and I see other websites doing that. Um, the gaping void is one of my inspirations and they, they have prints for, for sale and they make you know hundreds and thousands of dollars. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to throw in a print button and I'm going to start making money and it's going to be great. Um, and it didn't go anywhere. And I tried it and I felt really, um, the, the best word to describe it. I felt icky putting the button in there. Uh, and then I, I was like, well, how do I resolve this? Because am I just afraid to make money or do I really not feel good about selling prints? Um, and so I surveyed my audience. Turns out they don't want prints either. <laughs> and, and I asked them what they did want. And that was kind of lowest on the, the totem pole. Uh-huh. Um, but it did reinforce the fact that they want the book. The book is coming out. They want. They gave me ideas for. You know, they would like a daily calendar or a planner, and a planner wasn't something on my list. But I was like, oh, that's actually a, a wonderful idea. Um, so it was, you know, taking the spirit of what I do, which is something creative and I that I love, that I feel like helps people, and just furthering that, and asking the people that I'm serving what they want, and what they need, and what they love instead of trying to slap that, like, okay, and now we're going to monetize. And this cartoon is brought to you by, you know, whatever, um, whatever thing I thought I needed to do to make money. It was, you know, again, it was going back to, well, where, where does the value in this lies? And it lies in the people that I'm serving. So I'm going to ask them what they want and, and we're both going to do something that we both want.
2: It's funny you mentioned the gaping void because we had almost an identical idea to that because I, I happen to be at Lisa Demona's office, who's my literary agent, and she has Huma Cloud's prints hanging up. Uh, we have the same agent. And I remember looking at her office and I was like, oh my God, I'm like, that's it. So we actually opened up an art store at unmistakableart.com where we have t-shirts and we have uh, a few posters, but... Uh, like you, we, we found that that wasn't this like amazing thing that we thought it was going to be, uh, I mean, people have bought the t-shirts and the t-shirts are really cool because they've designed, they're designed by our friend Mars, but it was, it's a very interesting lesson for sure.
1: Yeah, it is. And, it, um, it's an interesting lesson in do you, know, how do you serve the people in the way that they want to be served? And mm-hmm. I, you know, my, I was crossing my fingers. I was like, if this survey comes back and everyone wants coffee mugs, I might quit. <laughs> I might leave because if that's the way I'm going to be making money, I don't know if I want to make to it sell that a million,
2: way. Million coffee mugs, right, right?
1: Exactly. Like, oh, would I be okay with that? Um, and I think artistic integrity is such a really loaded phrase, and it's a it's a spectrum, which is you can be the completely, you know, be full of integrity and not make any money from your art. But yeah. then what is that? That's not the living and that's not the practical side we were just talking about. But then there's the other side of it, which is completely selling out and people can, can feel that from your work too. And it's, I think it's just a really delicate balance. And especially it's, it's about just being in tune with the people that you're, you are reaching right now and just making sure that re- relationship is as strong as it can be.
2: Yeah, I, I really appreciate this because, you know, we were, um, I was having a conversation with my business partner, Brian, and, uh, you know, we, this was at the beginning of the year and we were, you know, we're struggling and, and you're know, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And he said, create what's in your heart and we'll figure out what to do with it. And, you know, I wrote a post titled create what's in your heart, a business model for work that matters. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's got, it's led to all these really cool things like getting to write, you know, a book with a publisher and of course doing these animated shorts, which we've just had a blast producing, uh, and, and yet it's it's a super counterintuitive approach to things. It just it, doesn't, you know, but the thing is, it's kind of like you were always wanting to, like I always want to make sure that we'd be proud to put our signature on anything we put out in the world.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you, the follow your heart is, that also is just like create what's in your heart. Is That is also a loaded question, I think, in our space, which is do what you love. Will you instantly make money? No, there is some practicality and work, there's definitely practicality and work behind it if you want to make money from that, and then the flip side being do what 's practical and right um, that can be so boring and get lost in the crowd and it just is such a balance and but if you can lead with the create what 's in your heart and and follow that piece, um, you can always add the business principles and the ideas and the and the the practices around it um, but people can tell, and i 'm a big believer that people can tell that you put effort and time and love and passion into what you do and they can sense that and they want to be a part of that and they want to experience that with you. Um, and you can always add a little bit of business behind that in the end.
2: Yeah. Well, Steph, this has been really cool.
1: Yeah. This has been a wonderful conversation. I feel so (laughs) excited and inspired to get back to work on my own art.
2: Awesome. Well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish every interview at the unmistakable creative, what do you think it is that makes something or somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Unmistakable is for me, it's, it's really what we just, um, we just talked about, which is, it is unmistakable when you pour yourself into something that you care about so much that you think needs to be in the world or something that you create because you need it in your own life. And when you share that with the rest of the world, it's, you can't help but want a part of it and you can't help but want to be a part of it. Um, and I think that is just completely unmistakable in the world that we live in.
2: Awesome. Well, Hey Steph, it has been my pleasure to have you here, uh, as a guest on the Unmistakable Creative. I, I knew we'd have a really interesting conversation just based on getting to dig into your work. And uh, I will link up, uh, everything we've talked about in the show notes. Definitely visit art I signed up for the newsletter myself just because even though I get a ton of emails, like I won't want one of these in my inbox every day.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah.
2: And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Wednesday on The Unmistakable Creative.
7: You know, one of the turning points in my life um, had to be at an airport in Montreal, Canada, when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And at that time, I was getting myself into an enormous amount of trouble hanging around with street thugs. Uh, We were doing breaking and entries. We were selling drugs. And like Bill Clinton, we didn't smoke much of it. But um, we just got into a lot of trouble. And um, I was at the airport going to Toronto to meet my brother. And right in front of me was this guy. His name was Denny. <laughs> it's so funny. I haven't thought about this in almost 40 years. And um, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, Denny. And his girlfriend that was sitting standing next to him was wondering, Denny, this his name is not Denny. And the guy basically turned back around to talk to the ticket counter. The reason – I went to that stories because this was a guy that uh, we were selling drugs to when I was 16, and he was an undercover cop, we later found out. And it reminded me of something my father told me when I was a kid, and that, and that was, uh, no matter how well you juggle a ball, even the greatest juggler in the world will drop what they're juggling once in a while.
2: Join me for a conversation with John Asraf about the radical transformations to his life that he's made over multiple decades.
3: Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.
0: Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? What if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? This isn't a story about tech taking over, it's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The 4Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash 4Keys. Use the number 4, K-E-Y-S, that's unmistakablecreative.com